Welcome to Spiniverse. It's Bahar Bahukotai. We have arrived at the end of the book of Leviticus. Ah! I am Rabbi Josh, Hillel Executive Director at Goucher College. He, him pronouns. My name is Leah, she, her, and I am Goucher Hillel Co-President. Hi, my name is Ryan Ornstein. I'm Goucher Hillel's Shabbat Committee Co-Chair, uh, she, her pronouns. Okie doke, everybody. So we're going to jump right into Bahar Bahukotai. I didn't have a summary in here, but I'll summarize sort of a little bit myself just off the bat. Um, this is an interesting double Parsha. It starts with some texts that we're going to get into about the Shemitah year and the Jubilee year, the idea of like the land having a sabbatical and then what that does for humans and economic equality and justice and that whole kind of thing. Um, so that's what we're going to jump into. And then, you know, it has some uh, typical Leviticus-y stuff about uh, how much each person has to be redeemed for at some point in the Parsha. And then there's this whole blessing and curse for listening to God's law, which is a kind of a typical sort of thing that you might have at the end of a book that's had a lot of God's laws um, that we've gotten through. And that's what we're going to end up doing with our Taste of Hillel event as the second part of our podcast. So without further ado, I will say let's jump right into this text. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, speak to the Israelite people and say to them, when you enter the land that I assigned to you, the land shall observe a Sabbath of the Lord. Six years you may sow your fields and six years you may prune your vineyard and gather in the yield. But in the seventh year, the land shall have a Sabbath of complete rest, a Sabbath of the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest or gather the grapes of your untrimmed vines. It shall be a year of complete rest for the land. But you may eat whatever the land during its Sabbath will produce. You, your male and female slaves, the hired and bound laborers who live with you, and your cattle and the beasts in your land may eat all its yield. You shall count off seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the period of seven weeks of years gives you a total of 49 years. Then you shall sound the horn loud. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, the day of atonement, you shall have the horn sounded throughout your land, and you shall hallow the fiftieth year. You shall proclaim release throughout the land for all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you shall return to his holding, and each of you shall return to his family. That fiftieth year shall be a jubilee for you. You shall not sow, neither shall you reap the aftergrowth or harvest the untrimmed vines. For it is a jubilee, it shall be holy to you. You may only eat the growth direct from the field. In this year of jubilee, each of, your, each of you shall return to his holding. When you sell property to your neighbor or buy any from your neighbor, you shall not wrong one another. In buying from your neighbor, you shall deduct only for the number of years since the jubilee, and in selling to you, he shall charge you only for the remaining crop years. The more such years, the higher the price you pay. The fewer such years, the lower the price. For what he is selling you is a number of harvests. Do not wrong one another, but fear your God, for I, the Lord, am your God. You shall observe my laws and faithfully keep my rules, that you may live upon the land in security. The land shall yield its fruit, and you shall eat your fill, and you shall live upon it in security. Thank you, Ryan. Beautiful. And that was a long passage, so there's plenty to talk about in there. Um, is this something you've run across before, the idea of the sabbatical year, the jubilee year? I definitely heard of it. I don't think I 
Yeah, it's because it's specifically tied to the land of Israel as an agricultural law. It's not necessarily in um, force outside of the land of Israel, but particularly with the founding of the state of Israel, it's become much more of a like, hey, does this come back now? Do we have to do this? And how do we do it? And is there a way around it? And like, is it practical? Is it good? Is it good? permaculture. So from a sustainability point of view, um, there's a, there's kind of a movement um, you guys may be aware of called like the Jewish environmental and farming movement, uh, Jewish organic farming and environmentalism that uh, like Pearlstone, which may have been to outside of Baltimore is a part of and uh, Eden village camp and a couple other places that are kind of Jewish environmental centers. And this text and some other texts like the gleaning the field, I think we did last week, the, the, not sowing the edges of the field, leaving that for the poor, right? We talked about that, the payah, is, are part of like agricultural laws that may have like a real deep connection to like some sustainable farming practices. In this case, the whole question is when you over farm a particular field, um, you can drain all the nutrients out of it. And, you know, there's something in this of the idea that like when you give the land a year to lie fallow, replenishes the land. So you're not, you know, overusing the resource um, is one thought behind this. There's also, but there's also a question of practicality. What are you going to eat? You know, not only for that year, but for the year after, because you didn't sow the field. So you can't really, you know, expect a harvest in year eight. So yeah. Um, what are the thoughts does this bring up for you guys? Um. The one thing that kind of got me that I feel like we should touch on is we own slaves. Yeah. Um, I feel like we need to have a discussion about this. because All right, need. let's go there. This isn't the first time that's mentioned, right? Is it just the first time we've discussed it? But I feel like, like, like slavery is not something that's not, not like mentioned. It's not not mentioned. It has so it been. is mentioned earlier. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Still have a problem with it. Well, yeah. <laughs> to be fair. Yeah. Isn't it, it? I might be completely wrong, but I feel like in the past, I've discussed it with people in terms of it being more like slavery being like a punishment or something like that not the same way as like the jews were slaves in the land of egypt it's just like you're all slaves and you all stink blah 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 and more of like this person did something bad so they're a slave for this long or whatever but i might be completely wrong you're not completely wrong Aha. but it's not going to make the, the end of the story may not make you feel completely better either and it happens to be the next text that we're reading so let's jump into it and then we will get to this i i promise and let's talk about slaves and and others um leah you're on for this one yeah if your kinsman being in straits comes under your authority and you hold him as though a resident alien let him live by your side do not exact from him advance or accrued interest, but fear your God. Let him live by your side as your kinsman. Do not lend him money or advance interest or give him your food at accrued interest. I, the Lord and your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan to be your God. 
If your kinsman under you continues in straits and must give himself over to you, do not subject him to the treatment of a slave. He will remain with you as hired or bound laborer. He shall serve with you only until the Jubilee year. Then he and his children with him shall be free of your authority. He shall go back to his family and return to his ancestral holding. For they are my servants whom I freed from the land of Egypt. They may not give themselves over into servitude. You shall not rule over him ruthlessly. You shall fear your God. Wait, so now we're all just slaves to God and God is letting someone borrow one of these other people. I guess so. I might be like reading this wrong, but like I'm very confused why like do this because you're afraid of me. That like it's a very weird way of explaining to people why they should do something. This phrasing just confuses me. Yeah, and the Hebrew may be somewhat more useful here. I'm just going back to see the words because there are a couple different words that are important here. The word slave in Hebrew is eved, avadim, right? The word that they're using here to describe laborers um, is um, sachir, okay? Like that means basically like a wage laborer. Um, and then later it does say in verse 42, ki avadaihim, they are my servants. So the word eved has been translated as both slave and servant. Obviously those two different, have two different valences in the English language and all of that. Um, and, and we have our own legacy of slavery in this country to deal with that is part of how we read all of these texts, of course. You know, that's a, that's a part of all of it. So it says that the people who are your kinsmen who fall into straits, i.e. fellow Jews that are in debt to you can be taken into what we would call an indentured servitude up until the Jubilee year and that then they could be let free. However, the passage that comes after this one that I cut off here, um, and we can go into it, I can pull it up if you want me to, does talk about non-Jewish slaves who are treated in a different fashion. So I imagine, you know, you have some thoughts about that. Yeah, yep. <laughs> Do you wanna look at that passage to see what it says? Leah is co-president of Making You Choose. <laughs> well, Ryan, do you have anything to say about this part first? I mean, I have a lot of issues with it. I have... Yeah, yeah I assumed you would. <laughs> um, at its basis, I think it's super hypocritical and super, like, insensitive and tone deaf. Like, for, like, and I... I understand that maybe people are trying to add some nuance to this conversation, but at the same time, it's like looking at it in a modern context, I genuinely don't understand how we're, we can justify the owning of another human being, especially in a biblical context when we have just only come out of Egypt, like after being brutally enslaved. Yep. And then yeah. God's like, but it's okay. You can do it to other people. Right. I like, it's like a lot of the times, like when we did conversations on sacrifice, a lot of the time I'd kind of shift my mentality to be like, okay, but place it in the time period. But I really feel like there's no time when slavery is just, just because something's 
may have been common practice at a time. There's no reason to be like, but it was justifiable for that time. Like, no, it, it was, wasn't, you'd think it'd be weird. You, you look, obviously there's the people's mind frame and then there's God's mind frame, I guess, whatever. If you're trying to follow that thought process, as it's explained in the Torah, be like, I'll free you from slavery because you're my people. But now you're going to be slaves to each other and you're going to find other people also to be your slaves. And you can, I guess, treat them even worse. It just doesn't make, make sense. Like it, it just, yeah. And I'm not going to devil's advocate on this one. Uh, Like in, in, in the, in the reading, it doesn't even make sense. Even God can't give a good explanation. God is just like, do this because you should, fear me and do what I say. Like even God can't give a valid thorough explanation. Like just saying. Agreed. And just to go into this text, what these next couple of verses are that it says, it says such male and female slaves as you may have, it is from the nations roundabout that you may acquire male and female slaves. You may also buy them from among the children of aliens resident among you or from their families that are among you, whom they begot in your land. These shall become your property. You may keep them as a possession for your children after you for them to inherit as a property for all time. Such you may treat as slaves, but as for your Israelite kinsmen, no one shall rule ruthlessly over the other. So to, I mean, ah! it's, prob- it's problematic, right? It's deeply problematic and it's, um, you know, inexcusable. And uh, I agree with you. Um, and not only that, but I will say this, that um, this has been used but this was used at least before the civil war by some rabbis who wanted to maintain slavery in this country as a text to you know prove it a, a particular rabbi i remember in new york who gave a sermon and was roundly shouted down i think by you know those around but um you know this is not even relatively recently and we're talking about slavery in this country some have looked at this text but the truth of the matter also is the what do the rabbis do with it and we as a religion as a jewish religion are not the biblical religion it brings me back to that question thing we brought up a couple times ago where we talked about like you know trying to live biblically and according to the bible the text contradicts itself there are places that in the torah that contradict each other and we you know, as Jews, there are so many things that are in the Torah that we don't do. Um, so that doesn't excuse it at all, you know, but which is to say that rabbis, the rabbis who commented on this text also had a problem with this text. And the institution of slavery of other people among Jews is not widely common from what we've seen. Um, but it did happen, you know, at times it did happen. Um, and I think that, you know, there are uncomfortable things that we've got to face in our own history in order to move forward, make recompense and, and, you know, figure out what our values really are about and how we do treat other human beings. Yeah. I feel like this one doesn't need a lot of discussion. It's just an objectively bad thing. And I don't like, it is a horrible thing. It will never, ever be justifiable. Um, especially the superiority complex that really comes through in that last part like the sort of immunity that Israelites have um, is just horrible. And um, I don't think anything else needs to be said for that. Fair enough. I agree. 
Um, okay. So other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the show? I'm going to bring us back to, uh, you know, the first part of the text about the Shemitah and the sabbatical year. And this is, again, it's really challenging because sometimes we'll have a text that may have some real value to us right next to a text that is reprehensible, you know, by our standards. Um, and this, this is exactly one of those places. So what about this whole sabbatical year thing? Is there something worthwhile in this? Um, so here's a, a medieval commentator who wrote about the sabbatical year. Anybody want to read just this commentary? I will. Does it start with the year of yep. Shemitah? The year of Shemitah promotes a sense of fellowship and peace through the suspension of cult cultivation, even for the needy of your people. For one is not allowed to exercise private ownership over any of the seventh year produce. And this is undoubtedly a primary factor in promoting peace, since most dissension originates from the attitude of mine is mine, one person claiming it is all mine, and the other also claiming it is all mine, but in the seventh year, all are equal. And this is the real essence of peace. Yes. It matches well with the conversation about slavery. Makes sense. Yeah, but that's not what you say. Talking about the sabbatical. No, I know. I know. I got you. Yeah. No, it's, we, we have these um, cognitive dissonance. We're, we're, we, we got to live with cognitive dissonance when we read the Torah. Cause it is, we're going to have it. Um, Okay, and this makes me think of the mind, mind, mind seagulls from Finding Nemo, you know? Um, like, there, when we get into an acquisitive battle that many will associate with capitalism, let's say, um, it can be really problematic because you'll have winners and losers. You'll have people who lose land and who don't get it. You have, you know, um, real gaps within society between the rich and the poor. But then this is saying in the seventh year, that sort of goes away. It's like capitalism, six years, socialism, year seven. Any thoughts about that idea? I mean, why, why not just make it socialism for the rest of the time? That seems to be working out. Like that seems to be like the happy time where everybody gets to like, Everybody is free. Everybody is equal. And then they're like, psych, you only have a year of this. And then it's time to go back into this hierarchical society where <laughs> luck is luck. Um, socialism. I think it's, I think that should have been the norm. I have a question. When it comes to the like actual farming part is it more about like here everyone take all these things or more about like give the land time to rest because i know that's also an important part of farming they might be like don't do anything to the land and because you're not actively doing anything to it everyone can take it because i know if we're going back to like agriculturalness like land needs time off to rest to actually be able to produce food I think it's a both and I think that they're probably this take on it seems to be more about the people, but maybe the Torah take seems to be a little bit more about the land. And it really is this very interesting, like the land needs Shabbat, just like the people need Shabbat. Yeah, because it like lines right up with the different celebrations of the different agricultural festivals, like with Shavuot being an agricultural festival, they're talking about in the Torah right around there. It kind of lines up with, with that. <laughs> Right. And the Shavuot, it's an interesting thing you bring that up. So what's Shavuot? We count, we did this last week. We count seven weeks of seven days. And then on day 50, it's Shavuot. 
Here we count seven weeks, it uses that word, interesting, of seven years. So it's seven times seven years, 49 years. And year 50 is the Jubilee year. So it's like Shavuot for the land. So there's this interesting parallel between the land and the people. The land is kind of treated as if it's a person it has needs to. Yeah. Um, and this last text deals with that too. Ryan, you want to, this is a, a more modern take by Rabbi David Engber. From sure. Something miraculous happens when we stop. We get to experience the power that nature knows called dormancy. Dormancy, that which is holding, the heartbeat that rests, the hibernating animals, all of winter, waiting and waiting. There are seeds inside each and every one of us, inside this culture that cannot emerge because we do not know that dormancy does not mean death. Resting does not mean disappearing. What keeps us from stopping is that we are terrified of resting. We are afraid of the imaginative, terrible things we will feel in the quiet. We fear that when we stop, even for a moment, the sheer enor enormity, enormity got it, of our lives will overwhelm us. Our outspoken and unspoken fears, they speed up our lives. Like a stone being thrown over a lake, we've learned to skip so we don't get too wet, and we are terrified that if we let the stone fall, we will disappear. And so we think that our speed will save us from the void. We dance around the security that is offered from touching what is underneath the speed. Can we let go of the obsession of finishing what can't be finished? Pretty. Uh, slightly convinced that he was on something when he wrote this. <laughs> this portion is like well fitting with the like end of the semester. <laughs> our, our break. Yeah. I think so too. One second, guys. Um. <laughs> Sometimes we can't finish, you know, what might need to be finished, just like it says, which we're not going to get to do right now. Uh, I think we'll get to the end in the second half with everybody. But yeah, do I, I think it's fitting too. How are you guys feeling at the end of the semester here? Um. What did you say, Ryan? Dead. My brain just doesn't function. It's just I, stopped. Head on, no thoughts. Ready for. Right. I'm ready for no more virtual commitments daily. Yep. That's honestly more than um, a break from school. I'm like the land. It's just like need, needing a break from the screen commitments. Feel you there. Yeah. That's what I'm ready for. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, we're drawn to an end of this podcast that we've been doing together, guys. And, and anyway, we'll do one next week. But like Tragic. I I know, but it's been it's been fun. It's been really cool. And you know, every week a little bit of we're, we're contending with the Torah, this thousands of year old text that has a lot of stuff that's meaningful and a lot of stuff that's really hard to deal with and just not necessarily salvageable. And um, we're doing this together um, and we all deserve a break. So I think there's something in that. All right, time for us to break. We'll come back in the second half of the episode in a moment for you listeners, but for us in a couple hours. Ryan, it's like Spiniverse Parent Edition. Spiniverse Parents Edition. And my dad. That's Why? true. <laughs> I hope this is a quelling opportunity for you. Okay. So we are at the end of the book 
of Leviticus or Vaikra. And it has been, um, I don't know what ice cream flavor ride you guys would say Vaikra has been, but it's definitely been an interesting one. Um, and uh, earlier today, we talked about Shemitah and the Jubilee cycle and leaving the land at Sabbaths. And we talked about the institution of slavery, indentured servitude in biblical times and what we thought about it then and now. And uh, we sort of got to this point where we stopped and wanted to, to end the, the book with all of you. So I'll invite you all to unmute. Um, well, actually, maybe with this, this many people, maybe it's a good idea for us to, to keep muting. If you have a comment, please feel free to unmute and jump in. But I'm going to call on you. This is a participatory thing, all right? So um, we're going to read the, the blessings and the curses that come at the end of Vaikra. Margie, you're in top of my screen here. I'm going to ask you to read. Can you see what's on the screen here? Uh, from Leviticus 26, 3 to 6. Okay. Um, if you follow my laws and faithfully observe my commandments, I will grant your rains in their season so that the earth shall yield its produce and the trees of the field their fruit. Your threshing shall overtake the vintage and your vintage shall overtake the sowing. You shall eat your fill of bread and dwell securely in your land. I will grant peace in the land and you shall lie down untroubled by anyone. I will give the land respite from vicious beasts and no sword shall cross your land. All right. So far, so good. Blessings are nice. Any takes so far before we get into the curses? I don't like that survival is conditional, but okay. Are you surprised? No, I'm not surprised. There we go. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, you, if you've been reading Leviticus with me, as you two have the entire time, you can see that this is uh, there's a lot of conditions in this, uh, this particular um, voice of God, let's say, speaks with... Uh, a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of requirements. So here we go. Let's get right into the nitty gritty. Dan, would you read for us 26, 14 to 20, please? But if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, if you reject my laws <clears throat> and spurn my rules so that you do not observe all my commandments and you break my covenant, I will turn, uh, uh, I will do this to you. I will wreak misery upon you, consumption and fever, which cause the eye to pine and the body to languish. You shall sow your seed to no purpose, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you. You shall be routed by enemies, and your foes shall dominate you. You shall flee, though none pursues. And if for all that you do not obey me, I will go on to discipline you sevenfold for your sins, and I will break your proud glory. I will make your skies like iron and your earth like copper, so that your strength shall be spent to no purpose. Your land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. Very well read. Thank you. Okay. Well, that was pleasant light reading. Um, <laughs> that is not all. That is not all. In fact, there's, there's, uh, I, I'm not giving you the entirety of this curse, but we'll, we'll get to this part too. Actually, we'll stop here for a moment. Let's stop here. There was plenty there to discuss. So what do you think of this, this curses, this idea, by the way, this is not the only blessings and curses section There's a whole other one in Deuteronomy that comes up later. Um, 
Yeah. That sounds like the petty ex. <laughs> like, first thing I thought of, you a know, petty, like, petty ex. Like an ex, ex, ex boyfriend, ex girlfriend, ex, yeah. yeah, partner, yeah. Okay. Who's real mad at you and is going to. Like, if you break up with me, I'm going to do all this stuff and make you sad. Okay. And like, here's my thing. We've already kind of figured out that humans by nature are not like steadfast necessarily. We, we change, we're, we're evolving. And seeing, if we're going by, you know, creational standards, seeing that God made us and he kind of knows us and he, well, why does he feel the need to make it so, why did he make it so we can't obey him and then he's like, but if you don't obey me, I'm going to spite you. Good question. Any thoughts? Leah, go ahead. The one thing I will say is, though, if you've been listening to, to Spiniverse, you know that Ryan and I are not afraid to be very um, critical of God's actions at times. Um, but you have all these times where someone makes one mistake and God's like, well, guess I'll just wipe them all out. That seems like the best solution, like a couple of times. So this almost seems like gentler. It's almost seems like, well, I guess I'll just like make your life stink if you do something wrong, but you can still exist. It's just very, very strange. I don't know. A lot of parts of kind of like the Torah and how God acts don't line up. And we've kind of talked about different reasons for that, but it's also, it's like, in the world when you're at maybe like synagogue or wherever you go and in most religions they'll talk about like loving and forgiveness and god and that kind of thing which is like really like meaningful and beautiful but doesn't always align with exactly the the text dad, dad sawyer wants to talk now <laughs> i didn't mean to, i thought that by by writing i wouldn't interrupt but um it, it what struck me almost right away is it's like it's all or nothing. And most people, it's, my guess is, follow plenty of uh, uh, God's commandments and every once in a while break some. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so is but, 612 out of 613 good enough? You know, maybe not. Well, or even, even 605. Um, yeah. uh, so um, uh, it, it, this seems like a very all or nothing proposition. Indeed. Um, and, you know, part of what we've been talking about throughout this, um, look, I, I I tend to be a documentary hypothesis guy. I tend to often think about the Torah as a document that is constructed of a few different documents that are written in different historical periods that have different theologies. And in fact, that the writer of this particular piece, um, we've talked about a lot, there is a very authoritarian streak in Leviticus because of the priests and the authority that they want to hold absolutely over the rest of the people. Um, and that same authoritarian streak is not quite as present or as harsh in other parts of the Torah. So we tend to see that coming here right at the end of Leviticus after very specific sacrificial laws, including, like you said, Ryan, the story of Adnadav and Avihu, the story of the blasphemer and Amor last week, people who break one particular very specific rule and then are punished by losing their lives. Um, it's quite um, don't mess with us kind of thing. Um, and yet, and yet, 
not as to leave us on a totally bad note, there's a little piece here I wanted to share in the end. And um, Carol, if you would mind reading for us here, verse 41 to 45. When I, in turn, have been hostile to them and have removed them into the land of their enemies, then at last shall their obdurate heart humble itself, and they shall atone for their iniquity. Then will I remember my covenant with Jacob. I will remember also my covenant with Isaac and also my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. For the land shall be forsaken of them, making up for its Sabbath years by being desolate of them while they atone for their iniquity. For the abundant reason that they rejected my rules and spurned my laws, yet even then, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them or spurn them so as to destroy them, annulling my covenant with them. For I, the Lord, am their God, and I will remember in their favor the covenant with the ancients, whom I freed from the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations to be their God. I, the Lord. Thank you. Okay. Thoughts about this part? Take another hit at God because I love it. <laughs> um, I don't like this. I mean, I understand that he's kind of trying to soften it, but also it's like, you'll still live and I'll still love you. I'm just going to make your life hard because I love you. And like, it gives off this, this vibe of maybe, you know, a not so great parent saying, I'm hurt. Like I punish you because I love you or, and I'm not saying like grounding or something like that, but like genuinely harming kid and being like, I do it because I love you. Right. There's a I'll difference between, love you. right. Tough love. There's a difference between tough love and abuse, right? Let's say. Yeah. And this uh, reads like abuse to me. Like he's like, I'm going to throw them into this horrible, horrible situation and I'll still love them. And then once they've like gone and learned their lesson and been scarred for life, they can come back and I'll still love them and they'll love me. And it's like, yeah. And yet here's what I will say that is, I don't know. There's something about this passage to me that strikes me that is, um, meaningful to having lived in exile and diaspora, right? Like we as a people have lived outside of our land for thousands of years. Um, and like the very thing that was meant to happen here could happen. Now you can look at this and say, well, this was written later after the exile already happened and therefore is describing current events and, you know, using a prophetic lens to, to say them. And that, that may be the case, but it also speaks to the idea that even when we're not, in the land, even when we're not um, obeying these laws. And, and I guess it's hard because I'm still relating, I think, like you said, Ryan, to this God being like, I'm not really sure that's the God I really want to be throwing in with. But the idea that there still is a relationship, even if there is distance, the idea that like Judaism as a quality of yourself, like remains no matter kind of where you are, no matter what you do, no matter how connected you are, and that like you have an opportunity to reconnect to it. I guess, and I'm, you know, I, I'm drawing that out of like the rest of the context. I want to admit that the rest of the context is not necessarily context that does speak to me, but there is something in that that does speak to me. And I don't know if it speaks to any of you. I don't know. All right, I have a comment. Go ahead, Ellen. 
Can you scroll up so I can see the earlier? Yep. Text? The, so, the one about being routed and all of that. Sure. So this strikes me as being very clear. Like here are the rules, right? The rules are like, you have to obey the laws and you, you don't get to pick and choose like, yeah, that one works for me. And that one doesn't work for me. And yeah, you know, I, I, um, you know, maybe I won't eat pork, but I'm going to go kill somebody. Like, how does that really work? You can't really pick and choose, but, but all of these punishments per se, I mean, are these actual physical things you're going to run, but nobody's chasing you. That sounds pretty, um, like a pretty internal struggle versus something God is doing to somebody. So perhaps there's an element here of saying, listen, you, you need to be in. These are the rules for being in. If you're not in, you're going to kind of feel crappy about things. And even if you've transgressed, even if you've you know, found yourself in Egypt, because there's certainly the meta metaphor, metaphorical um, exile, right? You've removed yourself from the group. If, even if you do that, whether it's a real exile or a metaphorical exile, there's a, there's a mechanism for coming back in. So. Thank you. You're welcome. Go ahead, Carol. And this is I think our last comment before we got to come back in. Oh, okay. I, and I think the thing that was sticking with me was when you said this was written later, you know, and um, I think the rabbis or whoever wrote it had to be really adamant about keeping the laws because uh, there was always that fear of disbursement. And if, you know, we wouldn't be a people if we didn't distinguish ourselves with the laws. Is our time up? Yeah. I think so. I'm not sure if this is immediate or if I can do it with a time release. If it goes back in, I apologize, but thank you. Oh, nope, 60 seconds. There we go. Okay, that's good to know. Um, any other final comments that folks have? I, uh, I messaged down? I messaged Ryan this joke, but the joke was the, the punishment isn't the, the feeling like you need to run, but it's like you have to run to get exercise to stay healthy instead of just running when someone's chasing you. That's the that's the punishment. Mm. It's <laughs> yeah. the psychological aspect of it too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. but my mine is funny. But the funny part, <laughs> I, the humor of the side, yeah. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us for Spiniverse. This is our almost the end of the next. You know what we need to say? Chazak, chazak, venit chazak. We have finished the book of Leviticus altogether. That's right. Thank you. Spiniverse is a production of Goucher Hillel. If you'd like to look at the text that we've been studying today, take a look at the link in our episode description. Have a wonderful week.